Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God with a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Dr. Sophia Fasua. Uh, Sophia is a colleague of mine at the seminary, although uh, recently uh, retired and entering into uh, her um, her retirement years and emeritus status as a, as a professor. Um, and she's a fantastic preacher and interpreter of scripture and one of my favorite guests to have on from time to time on the podcast. And our text this week is Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Thanks as always for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, make sure to go ahead and click on the subscribe button if you're not already, so you never miss a show. And if you really like this one and you want to share it out, that'd be really great. Just click the share button on your podcast player app of choice and get the word out so others can benefit from the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sophia. Whenever yeah. you're ready. <laughs> a difficult text. Am I guessing right that you have a certain connection with difficult texts, though? I mean, it's, it's not the first time you've no, chosen. No, the, no. I, I've I, sent I, you I, options, and you almost always pick the one that no one else is going to want. <laughs> <laughs> this is like not the first time that's happened. <laughs> well, I, I gravitate toward yeah. them because I believe that the difficulties of life are held in the text. And if we avoid the difficult text, we avoid hearing what God has to say about difficulty. Yeah. And I have often pastored or ministered in difficult situations where it would be helpful if the minister had some contact with a text that talks mm. about what I'm going through right now. Yeah. 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 No, I, ha- well, I, have, a- a, I have a relationship with difficult texts. Good. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, this, uh, that's a good preface. Would you like to read or would you like me to read? I would and you'll love pray. to read. I would read. love to Go read for and it. Genesis. Love you to pray. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. We're going to verse 14. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm in Genesis 22. I'm reading from the New International Version. And the uh, subtitle that's listed here begins with the words, Abraham tested. Mm. Chapter 22. Some time later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out 
his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a bird offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And there ends the reading. Amen. And amen, question mark. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> wow. Well, let us pray. Father, we dare to ask that your word would spring forth among us this hour, that the same word by which you spoke to Abraham at the beginning of his journey into Canaan and at the beginning of this three-day journey, and that that word by which you then interrupted the action that he was carrying out at your behest, it seems, and as your word interrupted him attempting to obey your word, we dare to ask that we would not only be instructed by your word this hour, but interrupted by your word this hour. Oh, Lord. That, that, that our thoughts um, and experiences from study and research and history and centuries of interpretation that we, we're, we're going to do our best to bring to bear on this conversation. Mm-hmm. We ask that by your spirit, our hearts and minds would be opened uh, to being interrupted by your word to see and hear afresh what maybe we have not yet seen before or have seen and forgotten. So Lord, we, we do dare to ask that we would not be merely faithful interpreters, but obedient hearers of the word as it is living and active among us even now. We ask this for our sakes and for the sake of all those listening in, that their hearts too would be stirred and opened to your words interruption. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is your living, uh, incarnate, crucified, and risen Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for meeting and thanks for for reading. (laughs) What a story. This is quite a story. Quite a story. What captures your eye today? What's, uh, What's drawing you in? Initial observations. Um, You know, this is a story that you read hundreds of times and you study it. And if you go to seminary, you study it. And sometimes you study it in Hebrew. And it's a story that just keeps speaking in so many layers. And as I read it today, even as I was reading here in this broadcast, it struck me that um, there was no argument from Abraham. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you see Moses arguing with God. You see other people, other of the great, you know, the notable gradables. Uh, they are arguing with God when something comes up that they don't like or they don't agree or they don't understand. Mm-hmm. This was no contest. There is no argument recorded here. It's just take your son. I'll tell you which mountain. And the next words we get are early the next morning. <laughs> Abraham set out. He's obedient. Hmm. If nothing else, Abraham has lots of faults and I have lots of, I have lots of (laughs) bones to pick with him telling people that Sarah is your sister and all this, you know, I have, Abraham has lots of obvious faults, but in this early the next morning, Abraham set out, there's no conversation about it. Yeah. You mentioned the, the not arguing too, because we in fact even know that Abraham is, is capable and of that, oh, and yeah. invited to that in chapter 18. With Lot. Yes. Interestingly, on behalf of another. On behalf of another. Right? Yeah. On so, behalf. 
th- this willingness to really a lengthy, not just a minor argument, but a full blown negotiation. Oh yeah. 40. How about 30? How about, I mean, really what a, (laughs) just takes it down to the wire and he does it in this polite way that is typical of the culture. You Mm -hmm. know, if, if you would let me just say this one more thing, you know, he's, he's not barging in rashly, but now we're talking about his son. Yeah. The one he prayed for with Sarah and, and, and God is saying, go sacrifice him on a mountain that I'm going to show you no conversation early next morning. Abraham sets out that right there is profound. No matter what else you, you glean out of the rest of the, the passage, the fact that he responded to God with action. Yeah. And not with filibuster and debate and rebuttal <laughs> and, and let me remind you of your nature, God. And I mean, there's a lot of places he could have appealed, but he, yeah. he, he went straight in. He went straight in and just began. Now, we don't know what was going on in his heart. And the, the big question that I have is, what did he tell Sarah he was about to go do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you mean, my baby? <laughs> Oh, what did he, did he, did he even tell Sarah? Uh. So there's, there's a, there's a lot that we glean from this story, from what is said and a lot we glean from what is not said. Oh, so much, so much left unsaid. That's, that's part, that's integral to the story. Like the pauses in good music. It's all, it's integral to the, I've quoted this already, this, this summer series on the podcast we're going through the Old Testament, Genesis, mm-hmm. Exodus, mostly mm-hmm. narratives. And, and I'm, I'm, I've quoted this guy before, but Eric Auerbach, this literary scholar who, who has this book, Mimesis, and, and one of the chapters, he talks about how Hebrew narratives are fraught with background. And I just love yes. that phrase. And he, yes. he comments on this chapter in particular, all of these questions that the, the text invites to be asked and that yes. it leaves unanswered. Like, I mean, this story, and he, Auerbach even does a comparison between this story and the return of Odysseus to his mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wife at the end of the Odyssey, and how much, like this story would have would be would go on for fifty chapters in a Greek, oh, yeah, uh, epic, epic, because it's so like each moment here is a whole speech. Exactly, you could have you could have the whole dialogue with Sarah. You have the whole dialogue. Like, Okay. There's a whole, there's a longer version of this that it's kind of inviting to be told. And in some inviting ways, the whole history, yeah. the whole history of Jewish and Christian preaching on this text is in some sense that it's, it's like, it it's opens midrash. itself. Yes. yes. <laughs> Most of what we do with this text is midrash because yeah. there's so much that we're uncertain about and so much that we have to just kind of fill in the blanks in a, in a holy way, you know? Yeah, and so, there's a part so, of me that loves that that the blanks aren't filled in in the holy text itself because in a way in a sermon you you fill in some gaps yeah. but they're not permanent. They don't become canonical because no, the no. next week or the next year it there's a different way to fill those gaps. Or the next in. pandemic. That's right. <laughs> or the next pandemic. That's right. So so that stood out for me and then um because I often preach on the edge you know, mm-hmm. edgy kind mm-hmm. of preaching. I'm ready to jump into the narrative and say, that's not your only son. You have other children, Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, because the, 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 this, this insistent on your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac, finally named. Yes. That's, yes. That's, that's a bit of drama right there. Yes. Because in the previous chapter, Ishmael is sent away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then, it, you know, the chapter opens with some time later. Mm-hmm. How some long time after? later. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know how many years, if it's a decade or whatever. We only know that the boy is old enough to carry wood. Mm-hmm. He's not a little boy. Little boys yep. can't carry wood. Teenagers can carry wood. Yeah. And, and young adults can carry wood. But sometime later. And so, you know, this is not his only son. So, you know, I've already got a disconnect theologically and, and, and historically and, and all of, you know, when you start, you know, exegeting the text, because this is not your only son, but it's the only son that Abraham cares about. <laughs> yeah. So when I preach that text in certain 
context to hear that there were two, mm-hmm. but this is the only one he cared about. The son, your beloved, the one you love, depending on which translation you're using. There's all of this before the boy is actually named. Yes. There's all this buildup in there. And often in our congregations, we are preaching to the child that was sent away. Yeah. Huh. By divorce. That's a good. You know? Yeah. So there, there's, this is fraught with difficulty. That's a good insight because it's so tempting for me to to stay myopically in the encounter between Abraham and Isaac and to think in terms of the kind of privilege that locates myself with Isaac. Yeah. You know, and how different this story comes across. If you identify yourself with Ishmael, all of a sudden it's like, mm-hmm. well, uh, do I really want to be a part of this family? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, I mean, this is a traumatic experience. This is a traumatic experience. And, and, and you know, because of this, the, the Ishmael and Hagar have been sent away. And Hagar is one of the signature uh, texts of womanist theology. And, you know, I'm a womanist theologian. Yeah. In other words, I read the Bible through my own eyes, the eyes of a woman of African descent. And Hagar is the woman that was sent away. First of all, she's she she's brought into a situation that we're not even sure she wanted. Who knows if she wanted yeah. a baby with Abraham? You know, he was a musty old man. You know, yeah. so here she is <laughs> because she's the servant girl and has to do with her mistress tells her, you know, to do. She yeah. ends up having this baby and then you sending me and my baby away. So this whole issue of women and children who feel like they were conveniently tossed away when the, when the whim mm. and, the, and the fancy no longer suits, you know, that's the Hagar tradition. Mm-hmm. And as you're, you're thinking about reading this story against just the previous chapter, that the, the, the child that's sent away is not even regarded as part of the family anymore, uh, which happens in divorces quite a bit, you know, which yeah. happens in these horrible separations and one moves to one side of the country and all, you know, so you've got this in the pews and then now the son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac, you know, laughter, all of this being named right here before the test comes, sets you up for a great deal of tension. Yeah, that links back really well with 21. We just, it would have dropped last week for the podcast and it was just last week when we recorded it, uh, Mandy and I did did the episode on that story. Yeah. And just doing the math, it was clear that Ishmael was a teenager during that scene. Yeah, yeah. And that actually confirms, that's an additional corroboration of your insight to think of Isaac then as a teenager and places these two stories in parallel. Yes. Because it's the story of both Ishmael and Isaac in in peril. Yes. And both in peril at the hands of Abraham and his and his God. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's yeah. it's Abraham and his sort of personal God, who we still don't know the whole character of yet, who seems to be sort of placing both of these sons in danger in a different way. And and you're right that that line, which, as you said, with the translation, I, I glanced. I, that was one of the things I noticed as you were reading today was mm-hmm. that the name is a, a really. This is a you know I don't want to be a stickler for following original mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, word order, but occasionally it can matter. I wonder if one way to do it and to make it still sound like English though mm-hmm. is you know take your son, comma your only son, comma whom you love, dash. Isaac, mm-hmm. right? That would almost be the way to capture the delay, the delay, you know, cause take your son in principle could be uh, on the one hand, it's, uh, yeah, I, I see a God sort of, I, I thought, I think your insight into say it's the only son as far as Abraham is concerned Concern. anymore, yeah. but there is a subtle even reminder that there has been a, a narrowing of the the focus of the promise, but that God has placed promise on these other lines in different ways. Right. And the fact that he had to be named at the end of all of this description. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's it's theologically pregnant right there too, but uh, pregnant in the pews, you know, hearing this text as the child who is thrown away. Yes. Is very difficult. And hearing this text 
as someone who feels that they have been sacrificed. There's a great mm. deal of concern going on right now about the children of uh, doctors and nurse, nurses during this pandemic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm reading lots of literature right now and, and reading lots of theological musings. And they're saying that the children of the pandemic, of the first responders, are feeling sacrificed and thrown mm. away at this point. And so you, you've, you've, you've placed them in there. In, you've placed them in the text now. Mm-hmm. There, there's, and, and we have no idea what the psychological repercussions are going to be until maybe a decade. Right. But uh, the children who have to look at mommy through the gate because she's going down to the downstairs entrance because she's the nurse and she's coming home and I'm afraid yeah. that even my clothes will kill you. You know, that be, there, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of, of, of um, abandonment going on right now from children who have been in healthy whole families that have nurtured and cared for them. And then all of a sudden this, this unexplainable distance that they can't understand. You know, so there's, there's lots going on in this text. So I'm imagining the pews as I read the text and I'm imagining who's there and who is just hearing the text. Yeah. 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 Those who have been, who are being left out of the story, those who are being sort of sacrificed by their parents, by their parents. Um, And as you started at the beginning, those who uh, are, somehow finding a way to obey despite the terror. The terror. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, so this is almost a pandemic story now. Yeah. Yeah. This is almost a pandemic story when you start reading it. Uh, Some, some years ago after hurricane Katrina, uh, my husband did a story set of uh, difficult stories uh, for Bible study purposes, uh, for because all the churches got washed away during Hurricane Katrina's, you know, so, and we had a number of churches, you know, 20, 30, 50 churches that just, you know, disappeared in a moment, and congregations displaced, uh, some trying to come back and clean up their places, and, and pastors who had lost their, you know, everything to include their libraries and all that, and so we put together this story set of eight difficult stories for survivors, and uh, the Hagar story was in the mix. <laughs> Abraham wasn't, he didn't make the cut. But the Hagar part of this story was in the mix because what do you, what do, you do when you feel that God has abandoned you or left you to do something that you really don't understand? And, and that's, this, that's what this story says in 2020, reading this in the middle of the pandemic. How do you obey God when you don't even understand what's happening and what, and what the result is going to be? Yeah. So saying Jehovah saying Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, takes on a whole different flavor when you when it's not just a cute thought, but really in the midst of all of this. In the midst of all those. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and keep digging in and start chasing down some of these thoughts. All righty. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Sophia Fasua, and we are looking at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, variously titled, um, though I think fittingly, given things that God says later, but the, there's the, 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 the title is almost supplied, right? And after yeah. these things, God tested Abraham. You know, that's yeah. a little, of course, that already tell makes us as the reader know something Abraham doesn't. He doesn't know it's a test. No. Doesn't say, I'm about to test you. (laughs) No, no. It's almost like the Job story now. (laughs) Yeah. We know a little more than he does. And I've been trying to practice that very, very strictly this summer as I've been in Genesis to pay attention to what we might know as reader uh, that the, the characters in the story do not. When did he know? And when did he know it? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Abraham, (laughs) here I am, you know, and, 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 you know, he of course says that again, when Isaac in verse seven says my father, and he says, here I am. son." And then when God says twice, then Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. It's very, that, that here I am as a twice, thrice repeated 
response to being mm-hmm. summoned. Mm-hmm. You almost get the – it's repeated enough to, to actually register uh, an irony as if, oh, I'm here. Like you say that when you're kind of not, right? It's mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. like – I can almost see him when when Isaac says, my father. Like you can almost see Abraham's mind is – where you know because in trauma you get a little dislocated and you're exactly his, his mind is elsewhere and it's like oh, here i am like almost kind of he's coming back mm-hmm. to presence mm-hmm. in the moment especially um, on the third one because the angel of the lord has to call him twice that's very that's i think that's very very significant <laughs> abraham and you're still <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, stuck, I'm stuck here trying to do what you told me to, to do. Had to be jarred uh, out. You know, I never thought of the significance of that. That is a very it, – it's the danger of the resoluteness and the yes. quickness to obey. Because we were yes. praising him earlier for yes. not giving an argument. But you could read it the other way. You could yes. say he was supposed to argue and say, no, yeah. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't do that. You know? <laughs> So here he is with the knife and his name has to be called twice. Mm. Mm. I think that's highly significant. Have yeah. we ever had to be called twice to realize what God really wanted? Mm-hmm. Are we listening or are we, as you said, resolute? Resolute and faithful. Yeah. I'm, 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 I, you know, I can't help but read this through the pandemic. And here in Michigan, we have had a number of ministers and congregants die, hmm. especially on the on the um, eastern side of the state there. I mean, we're talking 30 or 40 in one denomination because they were trying to hold church anyway. Mm-hmm. Because I think they thought that's what God wanted of them. Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and and they couldn't hear their name being called twice. Hmm. They huh. wanted to say that no matter what, we will praise you, Lord. And they couldn't yeah. hear. Resoluteness is not always faithfulness. No, right? resoluteness is not always yeah. faithfulness. And I, I think that's another from yeah, this text. Readiness, yeah. Yeah, readiness to obey yeah. is essential, but readiness to obey requires readiness to a continued readiness to obey as the word becomes different or clearer or a continual yeah. listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. There's a, there's an anticipation of God's provision of, of an alternative. Mm-hmm. But again, ironically, he do, I'm not sure he fully knows because in verse eight, you know, when he says, you know, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt mm-hmm. offering. He doesn't know what he means when he says that, because of course, God has provided Isaac. God, Isaac mm-hmm. was this miracle baby, right? Yeah. So he, he may be attuned to that side of the irony <laughs> that God is God, what God gives, God can take away. I mean, That's this it. is your, this is your baby. So this is your child. So he's yours for me to give back to you. So there's some there's some openness there. And so in some sense he is listening enough to hear, but like you said, the two names implies that it's not easy <laughs> because he doesn't know how the provision's gonna happen, you know. No, no. Um I, I also think we can't overlook the messi- messianic overtones here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your son, your only son. And, and, and Jesus being described as the one and only and as the beloved son and, and so forth and so on. So the messianic parallels are here. And then today uh, I even saw with the child carrying the wood. Yes. The instrument of his own sacrifice. It's a, it's a, it almost prefigures Christ carrying his own cross. You know, to yeah, especially in the book of John, where that's emphasized, and the very yeah. verb for being bound here mm-hmm. that appears here, the version, the the the, the Greek term for that mm-hmm. in the Septuagint gets uh-huh. used then in John when he's bound yeah. uh, and then led. It's uh, the the Hebrew is akadah, and th- this is referred to as you know by the yeah 
in the Jewish community as the Akedah. That's the yes, name it's of the, the Akedah. Yes, yes. And verse fifteen, which we didn't read to, where where the Lord says, "Because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son." That language right. appears in Romans eight when it says, right. "God did not withhold, withhold did not his spare. only." Yeah, yeah. So this is clearly a deeply influential text in the way that the the messianic uh, mindset kind of emerges and grows over the scriptures. Right, um, right. Uh, it's impossible to not see those later developments, although not again, not anywhere on Abraham's radar at this moment. No, might no, just be no, like, no, no. So all you had up to this point was up to Genesis twenty-two, or even more so if you just had Abraham's own experience, starting from Genesis eleven forward. Yes. And put it a little bit into context where the sacrifice of the, the, the firstborn child was a common practice to, to say, other, oh, it turns out you're gods. one of these. Yeah. It turns yeah. out you're one of these got, kind of gods, yeah. huh? Yeah. You're one of these guys because <laughs> the sacrifice of the firstborn was a, a, a thing in, in, in some of the pagan re- religions that were uh, surrounding them. Uh, so I, I think that the, t- the preacher has um, a, def- a, a de- delicate task here. Yeah. We can't rush to spiritualize mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the drama, and you can't rush to make it this um, Abraham was so faithful, and he's this moral <laughs> exemplar, and you know, you can't valorize Abraham, overly valorize Abraham in this thing, because there's a human element that goes on here. You've got a child that wonders what's happening to him. You've got a, a father that doesn't know how this is going to turn out. And the thing he says to the servants as he says, okay, y'all wait here. We're going up the hill. Probably he didn't take them because they would have stopped him, you know, mm-hmm. but we're going up the hill and uh, we'll be back. And so you're wondering, is this a faith statement or a cover story, you know, at this particular point? And then even what he says to his baby you know, this child that he loves, no matter how big this boy is at this point, oh, God will provide for himself, you know? And, and so he is, is he talking himself into faith or, you know, what's going on here? So we can't over-spiritualize this thing and overlook how much struggle Abraham actually was going through in this time and how much uncertainty. I really do not believe that until the angel called it and stayed his hand that he knew how this thing was going to turn out. Yeah. Oh, I'm certain of that as well. I, yeah. The one thing I'm certain of is his uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Then, <laughs> just given um, the way faith works, you know, just I mean, given the way faith yeah. works. And then I saw a Hebrew Bible class from a seminary. I can't remember the name of the seminary. I'm sorry, but they, they dramatized the Akedah. They, they, they all put on black. So readers theater style. Mm-hmm. And they, they dramatized the story in chorus. It was like a, a dozen of them. And they said every word in Hebrew, whether we understood Hebrew or not, we were supposed okay. to get it from the actions. And we ah. see, you know, Isaac carrying the wood and all of that. Mm. But for them, the binding of Isaac was a heart-rending thing. Because they are saying in Hebrew what's going on, and they're acting it out with their actors there. And this very good-sized child, you know, he was, he was, he was a, a seminary student in this case, yeah. a young male seminary student being bound by his father and the looks in his eyes of not understanding, Daddy, what you about to do to me? Mm-hmm. And uh, in their version of it, because, you know, all, all reading of scripture is interpretive. Mm-hmm. In their version of it, uh, when the angel stays the hand, the hand of, 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 of Abraham and the knife is put down and the, the, the ram is provided, he's not standing there beside his body, uh, his, his, his father looking and saying, oh, look, God gave us this. No, he's run off into the hills, mm. which yeah. was their interpretive license, you know in this thing but, but totally it makes, plausible <laughs> totally plausible because yeah. the old man's gone crazy you know yep. so understanding the human element here and and the implications of our decisions for god and how that impacts us down the line uh and how it impacts our families and that this is no light thing serving god and following god is no light thing for any family of god hmm. So when I, you know, so we're sitting there 
drenched in tears. Hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're a, a class of uh, seminary professors who are getting this demonstration from another seminary class that has come in for this conference, you know, and we're sitting there drenched in tears because suddenly we realize, no, Abraham did make a sacrifice. Yeah. Because he might have lost his son's um, trust. Yeah. A lot yeah. of things might have happened at that point. Yeah, there's a there's a brokenness in the relationship, no matter how it goes. And it's not irrelevant in that regard. How little the, the Isaac story is pretty it's pretty thin. We don't know a ton about him. And he's no. pretty quiet and passive in the story. And he, there's not too many chapters between him and, the, and then the Jacob and Esau action kind of kicks in. No, no. This is kind of the forgotten generation a little bit. Him and Ishmael both are kind of passed over in terms of detail, you know? Uh, and that may not be irrelevant because it could be that the faith of the God of Abraham passes through the God of Isaac and then rushed on to the God of Jacob. I mean, the, yeah, it's yeah, kind of, yeah. it, his story, there's just, there's less to it. And and it never occurred to me that this could be a bit of why, because uh, I mean, how many risks? I don't know. It's not implausible to me that that God may have come to Isaac. This is now just interpretive license uh, gone mm-hmm. wild, but that God may have come to Isaac and asked him to do some interesting things, and Isaac said, "No, <laughs> been there, done that. Nope. But, you you but, can but, have my sons. Yeah. They'll you can sort your covenant out with between Jacob and Esau." <laughs> But I'm not interested. I mean, and I wouldn't put, I wouldn't uh, hold that against him. He's still part of the covenant history. It's not a, because, you know, like you said, Abraham made a whole ton of mistakes. Um, He made a whole ton of mistakes, but I think here he actually did sacrifice his son. It's just his son didn't die as a result of the sacrifice. And then, okay, this is really, this is stretching out because I know chronology in the Bible is very difficult to -hmm. deal with. But chapter 23 begins with the death of Sarah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've got, you know, tw- 21, you've got Hagar and, and, and Ishmael are sent away. 22, you've got a sacrifice that takes place. Mm-hmm. It's not a, 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 a living sacrifice, but there was a breach. I believe there's really a, a breach there. And then chapter 23, you've got, you've got Sarah just gone. So, mm-hmm. so this was a defining moment, I think, in Abraham's life in, in a way. And um, I, I would dare to say, you know, because your audience is a lot of ministers, you know, mm-hmm. that listen to this podcast, that there are some decisions that God calls upon us to make that really are defining mm-hmm. in ways that we have no way, we can't control what happens after that. All we can do is say that we, and to the best of our knowledge, we were obedient to God whether or not to take this church or that church, whether or not to go to this city or to get out altogether. There's all these defining moments and they impact the entire family. And I really believe they are part of the obedience walk. And it's difficult to say how it's going to go. You know, anytime you move and uproot your family, anytime you do something that's going to affect what school your child goes to, Mm -hmm. There are sacrifices made. And so uh, I, I want to contend that there was a sacrifice of Isaac. I think that's a good insight. And the, and the, the uprooting there links it. I mean, because there is a little allusion to the opening of the Abraham story where God in Genesis 12 said, go to the land I will show you. And I here you have, you. here it says, offer them as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I will, sh- I will tell so, you. So there is a little, this open-endedness. And I think we've had a, I think, I think there has been a good trend of late in a lot of uh, Christian literature and pastoral writing about um, living a balanced life, spir- yeah. uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, these kinds of things. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, you know me, I'm all on board with oh, those yeah. mm-hmm those values, but I have some, uh, this chapter, this story helps to remind us that we need to be aware, beware of a kind of overcorrection mm-hmm. that, that denies the sacrifice that is entailed when God puts his hand on your life, you know? Now 
I think sometimes we engage in kind of self-sacrificial messianic behavior. That's just ridiculous. We, oh, yeah. we as if God isn't pleased with us unless it hurts, you know, and, but the and, flip side is also not hurt. true. And our yeah. families also hurt when those things happened. But the idea that ministry is just going to be all peachy keen and there's not going to be any pain involved. Right. is just lying to ourselves. It's dangerous. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you're right. It's actually version. more dangerous because then you don't count the cost. That's it. That's you don't it. Count the cost. And I think this, uh, this helps bring that uh, clearly, clearly to mind. I, I'm, I can't, my mind keeps going here and I'll mention this before we uh, turn to some specific uh, sermon starters, but I can't help but wonder when he, when, when he asks his question, when, when Isaac asks, behold, the fire and wood are here, but where yeah. is the lamb for the burnt offering? I can't help but think he's gone off on a journey with Abraham before. Before. This to do the, one of these. This, this is, is not, not a first. first time. No, not at all. And, and now it might have been a first for him to leave the servants at a distance. Yes. There's no reason for so that might have been the first clue something's weird yes. is going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I had never pictured that. I'd always kind of just thought of him as as if there were sacrifices before, they would have been done in town. And and actually Abraham's answer, and then once I had that thought in mind and that image, then Abraham's answer becomes even more strange because to say God will provide yeah. to himself mm-hmm. the lamb for a burnt offering it's a little weird because you even a teenage boy who'd seen some sacrifices before knows the whole point is you giving your stuff to god that's it so the idea that god is going to provide it it's kind of like well dad, that's not how this works no, no not at all not at all <laughs> if god already has his lamb he'll just help himself and and interesting that it ends up being a ram yeah. Not a lamb in the yeah. thicket. So even yeah. what he claims the Lord will provide, it ends up being not what he expects. Not, uh, not at all. Not at all. Which, of course, the ancient fathers loved to when you talk about those messianic overtones. To oh say, yeah, see, the, the lamb because a it, male. <laughs> yes. The real, the real, yeah. The, yeah. The the real lamb still to come. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, thanks so much. Uh, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Sophia Fasu, and we're looking at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. And we've been doing some interpreting, and now let's just explore some sermon starters. How might you give shape to a sermon? Obviously, we've already been throwing out some some sermonic ideas, but what direction might you go the next time you end up preaching on this text? Or uh, You know, we, we talked about so much in the text that speaks to the other child or the, the hmm. less favorite child and all of that. And um, I am, I have, I have been intrigued with the idea of why this son had to be part of the test for Abraham. Your only one, your beloved one, the hmm. one that you care so much about. And then finally naming the boy. Was there some idolatry hmm. set up in there? And we see that this family in particular, the, the line of Abraham, is plagued with family idolatries. Huh. Because later you see this, you know, one one parent favors Jacob and the other parent favors, you know, Esau. And, and then they, they kind of have all this jockeying and fighting for power and position that goes on. And you see this kind of recur in the family more than once. Uh, the whole thing with uh, the favoritism with Joseph, you know, that comes on even yeah. beyond that. You know, so the family seems to have a thing going on with with uh, favoritism and and maybe uh, affections that go above and beyond what I, you know so I, I, I'm toying with this still but I'm wondering why this test huh. and why this child is there something going on about Abraham that needed to be purified yeah an idolatry and a, and a favoritism mm-hmm. and a, 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 an excessive attachment yes you know 
to use that more psychological term, but there is a kind of all the promise has been invested in this boy, which, I mean, you talk about the possibility of Isaac in trauma running off into the hills. Yes. um, And some brokenness that was experienced here. And alongside of that and connected to that, there may have been a little bit of, I don't know, I, I don't mean to, not to put the, to explain the trauma way, but just to recognize that if for him, there was also some liberation in this incident Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. to some extent, because all of a sudden, if his father came away from this story broken in both the good and bad sense, where he came away knowing God is in charge of my family line, not me. If he hadn't got that message yet, it's if you don't have it yet, now. yes. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is when a, when a father thinks that one of their sons is is the is the the child of peace and promise, that is a burden. It's it a is, burden. It's hard. I mean, if you you can almost think in 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 a, there's a there, there's a way of preaching that recognizes the those in the room who are those who are forgotten and left over. But then also recognize those of you, some are in this room who you feel like you're the other way. You're the one who's been put too much pressure on. The one child that you, went to med school, yes, the one child yes. that made it big, the one child that, you know, Gosh, it's that's such a, burden. a burden. It's hard. It's hard. It's a burden. It is a burden. And you see it almost symbolized in him carrying the wood of his carrying own. Carrying the physical burden. <laughs> yes. On my back. <laughs> And, and it could be that God, despite, again, I don't want to explain away or justify mm-hmm. the trauma, but, but simultaneously recognize that, that a shifting is happening here, a loosening, as you, as you put it, a, a, a purifying of an idolatrous attachment yeah. to yeah. – and that favoritism, I mean, you know, God elects a people yes. for the sake of mm-hmm. the whole, but he does elect, and, and it takes a long time – and it's still taking us a long time in the church as we receive this to recognize that that election is not favoritism, right? right. It's not I like you better than the others. It's mm-hmm. you're it's that this this is the way God works. He blesses the whole through the part. It's just how God works. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. because you're somehow more precious or valuable, you know. Right. And mm-hmm. election doesn't have to be a burden to perform but a gift to be handed on. I think there's a, there's a real, uh, there's a real sermon there. It's, it's, it's tough to know. It would be highly contextual as all preaching is, but to, to know which sort of characters interior experience you end up centering on a sermon, it would be very difficult to do all of them, but you would probably need to focus. uh, And it would have a lot to do with the discernment of, you know, those in your congregation of sensing mm-hmm. are these uh, people, and it's not just about age, although that could play into it. No, but no. Have I you think been it's t- more about relationships and familial uh, lines. Yeah. And, and Because I almost want to hear the conversation between Abraham and Isaac after they got down from the hill. Ah, you can tell the whole sermon from that perspective, actually. Yeah. That could be fun. I almost want to hear the story down at the bottom of the hill after they come back. And and it can't be hyper-spiritualized and, oh, we have this yeah. glorious thing and look at, no, the, the, everybody's, everybody's broken in this thing. Yeah. So, so how do you Shook. explain what happened? And um, yeah, so I, I look, I look at that. And I also say, if you've got a young congregation that does not understand the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, then to yeah. look at this through the eyes of the cross is probably a helpful thing because I come across uh, students and other pastors and, you know, folks everywhere who don't see that the old old Testament is so integrally connected to the new Testament and him carrying the wood, the, the sacrifice, the one and only son, the, you know, the, all of the, the, Mm -hmm. the references there that are so messianic that, that help us to understand that, that God had been dramatizing and acting this thing out in a number of times and a number of ways before we actually get to the cross. It is previewed and prefigured so many times. Mm-hmm. And so being able to do that and maybe even to bring in some of the other messianic illusions from other places to see the unity that Jesus didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill, you know, so understanding that yeah. how things work. So dealing On with the third Christians, day, verse four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. On the third day in verse four. Exactly. Um, because they took a journey. They took a journey. So, so uh, looking at the, the, the use of, of time and objects and fire and, you know, all of this, uh, the, the knife and the sword, you know, th- this, there's all these messianic things. If I had an, a, a young congregation and the last congregation that uh, Dr. K and I pastored together was a new church start. And these were people who had not been in church before. Uh. So we had the opportunity to lay a lot of groundwork with people who didn't understand those connections from years of Sunday school or what have you. Yeah. I'm always so torn when I, when I preach uh, a, a great Hebrew Bible story to those who don't have, I won't say church, because you can have a lot of church in you and oh, not yeah. make those connections. Have but a lot of church and no Bible. <laughs> what, I, what I'll say, yeah, what I'll say is they didn't have any Sunday school like you and I. Right. Done. I'll be a couple more minutes. I'll be a couple more minutes. Okay. How about you have a seat? Okay. If you're bored, you can go play or get a snack. I'll be done in like five, ten minutes. We're really close. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm always so torn because, you know, like, I mean, we're not. We're not uh, the exact same age, but I'm old enough to have grown up in Sunday school. And like, just to me, it's so default. And so for me, it's learning how to read this text without jumping straight to the New Testament has been eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. It may have been for you, but I've realized that when I'm working with people who are less aware of those connections, I'm always torn because on the one hand, they have the benefit of just letting the story have its own meaning and not have to be located Mm -hmm. in a explicitly Christian context mm-hmm, to be understood, mm-hmm. which makes it the, the, the family dynamics and all that stuff mm-hmm, is clearer. Mm-hmm. And, but then at the same time, Oh, it's a missed opportunity to not get to make those covenantal connections. Um, and one way that I've tried to, to balance that is to try to really delay in the sermon. So this yeah. is just kind of general advice and those testimony of my own experience, but to, to really hold back, on some of the Jesus-y stuff until we've really gotten until into toward the, the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until we've really gotten into the experience of the characters, you know? Right. Um, but, but in so doing, some, you don't want to erase, erase the human dynamic that you've had to deal with right earlier in the sermon. So sometimes you can take people off the hook too quickly by taking them to celebration, you well, know, so and maybe, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if maybe the sweet spot is in the dead middle of the sermon, right? In a good kind of narrative form. Maybe a little bit, but because you're right, you don't want it to just be the escape hatch. But no. praise be to God, Jesus, now we don't have to worry about family. Right. <laughs> well, yes. that's not true, yeah. right? <laughs> so you right. can't just do it as an escape hatch. Um, it was funny. I, I was reading, I, just because the line cracked me up, uh, I, was, I was rereading uh, the passage on this in, in John Calvin's commentary. It's a beautiful oh passage actually. And, and he, he, he talks about the, 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 the two things that were really striking. The one that connects with this was uh, less pleasant. So I'll end with that one, but he just keeps talking about how he's taking refuge in divine providence. I think that's a, uh interesting way of conceiving faith that, mm-hmm. that Abraham's sort of, reaching out when he says God will provide is him kind of saying mm-hmm. provide providence. The, the lingo is very clear in Latin, right? Where mm-hmm, it's this mm-hmm, notion mm-hmm. that, but, but then he's so, you know, uh, you know, when Isaac speaks, he says, God produces here a new instrument of torture by which he more torment. <laughs> and like, he's like, he really acknowledges the torment of the experience. But this line then when he says, I am not ignorant of the more subtle allegories that may be elicited, but I do not see on what foundation they rest. He kind of says at the end, Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of Christological allegories, but uh, uh, they're not grounded. And I don't uh, agree with them. He's wrong about that. I Um, think so too. (laughs) It's like of all the Old Testament texts, although, you know, he was writing at a time in the 16th century when everything was so allegorized that the the Old Testament couldn't breathe, you know? And I, like I said, I grew up in that where I'd never heard a sermon from the Old Testament that wasn't, that the human, as you put it, the human element was not being erased by, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by allegorical interpretation. Right. And so I, I'm overcorrecting and I think you're helping me remember, 
yeah, but this is also an opportunity. <laughs> this is to, an opportunity. Uh, it, it, for those pastors who have a talk back session hmm. after their sermons or, or after the Sunday service where the parishioners can come and sit and talk about the text that we've just heard preached on that Sunday, that would be a wonderful time to also look at the messianic uh, illusions mm. that are there. But I think if I were preaching this tomorrow, that I would have to deal with the human elements in here, the brokenness, the uncertainty, yeah. the favoritism, the family dynamics, the fact that it became uh, a family, uh, uh, almost like a family sin or curse passed down because they yeah. kept playing that out in different families again and again until until it just kind of burned itself out. You know, so dealing with with all of that and family dynamics and the fact that our 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 ministry decisions and even our professional decisions affect our children and our families in yes. ways that we cannot predict before we make those decisions. But so being sure that we are hearing the full counsel of God uh, and not just taking off without hearing all of the story. Mm-hmm. And that and that, that that we can be we can listen, and that God won't have to call our names twice to help <laughs> us with a course correction. You know, that's kind of the sermon that I would love to preach for yeah. this. Yeah, that fits the a theme that I've been toying with, and and you really deepened it with that observation of the two the, yeah. the second call of this notion of divine interruption and the way that God interrupts even even us carrying out His instruction as Are you put you it as a continual listening. Obedience requires a continual listening. The word for obedience in Hebrew is also the same word for hearing or listening. Yes. (laughs) And these kinds of themes. And it would end up linking up actually, even with the the Christological is to say that even the coming of Christ seems like an interruption in the covenant, but is in fact, no, the continuation by way of something new. And I think there'd be way of building a theme around the, and it fits with, I mean, the quarantine crisis that we're experiencing yeah. right now. And this will drop till summer, but that'll still all be going on in a different mm-hmm. way, but still, mm-hmm. but in all kinds of new ways, when, when God, I mean, even the original instruction is a kind of interruption that seems like yes. the plan is the promises this boy. So why would I cut that off? Yeah. That continual listening, because when God speaks, he may very well, and in fact will speak again. And, the, the to not locate the speaking of God only as in the past as a promise to right. be attached to or a command to simply be carried out to the letter, but right. actually I'm still listening for a new form of the promise and a new mode of command that at first glance will be yeah. experienced as a contradiction from what I thought had come before. The the, the use yeah. of the, the the repeat, you know, we looked at that repetition. Here I am. Here I am. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Uh, the, the very first here I am suggests to me that Abraham was accustomed to hearing from God. Yeah. Not who's that? <laughs> you know, <Do> that. <laughs> <laughs> not who's that, <laughs> but right. here I am, you know, you, you, you interrupt me every now and then. I, I know this, that we have a lifestyle where that takes place. So yes. having a lifestyle where we can know that we have truly heard God and don't have to wonder, was that me or was it pizza? Was it me or did I misunderstand? Did I run away with it? Was it my own voice? You know, the things that people do yeah. when, they're, when they're developing spiritually, but having a lifestyle where we can hear from yeah. God and know that we heard God and having a lifestyle where we'll keep listening. Yes. So there's that listening and then the keep listening. That's, that's really good. I, I've been wanting to, for years to write a meditation on, on interruptibility as a virtue. <laughs> it's a spiritual virtue, and 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 it might it might come together as a homily on this text. Actually, could be uh, that 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 helps to acknowledge the you know the risk and the dark side and the the hardship that that could come there. Well, thank you so much for this time. I appreciate. I always love interpreting scripture with you. I especially I love enjoy. this. Yes, I love being with you too. This has been this has been really rich. And as I said, this is a difficult text. Yeah. And it, it's difficult to preach in multiple settings. Yeah. Because when you're preaching among those who would automatically side with Isaac, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're preaching among those who would automatically side with the child that got put out mm-hmm. and maybe have a little animus against mm-hmm. the Isaacs in our lives, you know, the sermon comes up 
differently because there are different needs uh, that the text, I think, addresses. I think this is such a multi-layered text. It talks to both communities and, and more. So just yeah. knowing where you're preaching this and uh, what needs to be said and heard for our growth uh, is, mm. is a really big interpretive task for the preacher. And there's so much that's not said. There's room for midrash. Yeah. Well, speaking of what's not said, I'm sure we've left a whole lot unsaid in this hour, but oh, we yeah. hope that some of it's been helpful for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, with that, I say thanks to you, Sophia. Thanks to all Thank our listeners you for as always. Me. Yeah. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing with this without them. Thanks to Tom for the theme music. And as always, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>